Hello everyone. If you're new to recovery and you're looking for a way to help keep you accountable and an easy way to find meetings close to you, there's a new app you're going to want to check out. Responsible for Recovery, R4R, with the number four. This app will give you morning and evening check-ins and tons of resources that will help you out on your recovery journey. Use the code ADDICTIVEPOD to get a free trial for the app. Welcome back to another episode of the Addictive Pod. My name is Adrian, and today I'm joined by someone with an incredible story of healing from shame. My guest grew up in a household which taught her to hide her emotions and look good on the outside. Seeing her parents' marriage fall apart led her to cope by seeking approval from men and escaping with alcohol and drugs. This lifestyle led to her having multiple abortions and contracting an STD. The shame of this dangerous cycle eventually became so powerful that she was willing to try something new and went to 12-step meetings. The recovery community, combined with many forms of therapy and coaching, transformed my guest into the incredible shameless person she is today. Someone who now helps other women overcome shame and heal from past trauma. Please join me in welcoming Carrie Pilaro. Hello, Carrie. Welcome to the Addictive Pod. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. It was really good meeting you a couple of weeks ago. Before we get into the story of your addiction, um, if you could just tell the listeners a little bit about where you're from and um, and what your early life was like. Um, I uh, was born in Tampa, Florida, and um, a lot of my early life, I you know, I look back and I'm like, my uh, my parents were married, and uh, my mother was a stay at home mom, and you know, we didn't really like want for anything. And so my early years, I remember, um, I remember having like that comfort of my mother and I remember having um, anything I ever wanted and I was in private school and the very earliest memories were fairly good until I got to, you know, about I want to say like five or six years old. Then I remember, I, then it's like, I began to notice things. And um, I noticed that my parents weren't getting along. Um, I noticed that they, um, they were fighting all the time. And it was, uh, it was unusual because it was like, they would argue and my dad would leave and, um, and he wouldn't come back. And sometimes my mother would like pack us up and we would go stay at a hotel, which, and when you're a kid, you're like, oh, cool. Like, this is fun. You don't even realize, (laughs) you don't even realize like, hey, this isn't normal. People, you don't just pack your shit up and go stay at a hotel somewhere. Um, I remember odd things like uh, the phone ringing and we would answer the phone and it, and it would be, um, silence on the other end and so essentially what was happening was my father was having like a relationship with someone and him and my mother were arguing and um, I remember asking her one day and this is a very vivid memory of mine I remember being in in her bedroom and I said um, mom does dad have a girlfriend and she said and, and for whatever reason and I think I was like actually I think I was seven and she said for whatever reason she decided to tell me all of this stuff and as a seven-year-old trying to process all of that, you know, um, you can't process all of that. Like, cause I immediately 
took on that as, oh my God, I'm unlovable. My dad doesn't want to be with me. That's the first time that I remember feeling not enough. And that would be, that like started that cycle of not enoughness and this um, need to prove myself to the world, to everybody that I was worth something, not even understanding that I am enough. That this, this situation has absolutely nothing to do with me. This is between two other people. It has, but I took it all on because I'm seven. You, you were seven. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> That's what's so sad. I mean, it's the one context where honesty is really not the answer. When you're talking to a child, when you're talking to uh, a seven-year-old mind that doesn't really understand these concepts, right? And it's maybe maybe your mother's interests were good, but the the damage that that can cause of just confiding too much in a child and, and opening up too much and sharing details that are just not appropriate. Um, when did you first discover substances? Um, when I was 14, I went on looking for this attention throughout my life for, from a man, from male. And because um, my dad was never really around and I ended up getting pregnant at 14. And, um, and then it was kind of decided and it really wasn't my decision, but it was decided that, hey, you're going to have an abortion. And this is what's going to happen. It is what it is. It's the best decision for you. And um, I remember after that, I don't really remember feeling like it was like I disassociated from my body. Like I can tell you certain mm -hmm. events that happened that day in that process, but there's a lot that I can't remember. Um, but I, I mean, I completely disassociated from my body and I remember um, not feeling quite right after that. And so I wanted like something, I wanted to feel like, okay, now I feel completely like, um, like I don't fit in because now I something has happened to me that hasn't happened to the rest of the world in my mind. I'm thinking that, you know, and um, I'm I want to fit in with people at school and people at school are you know smoking pot and doing whatever and I just want to feel normal. I know I don't feel normal, but I don't know exactly what it is. And so that's when I began drink. I think I started drinking at 13 and I started smoking at 14. And that just kind of like perpetuated over the years because it wasn't enough. Like nothing was ever enough to satisfy that feeling of not good enough inside of me. Did the people in your life, did friends at school know about the abortion? What was the um, impact that it had on just connecting with people your own age? I didn't tell anyone. It was a huge secret. And, you know, I know now secrets keep us sick, but back then I didn't know I was so full of shame and guilt. Yeah. I couldn't identify that. I had no idea what shame and guilt was. I just knew that in my family, it was such a big deal about what people thought, what other people thought we have to put up this big, you know, we have the nice house, the cars, my kids go to private school, everything looks pretty on the outside, but you don't know all the turmoil and bullshit that happens on the inside. And so it was like, I was living my life uh, my personal life, just like that. Yeah, maintaining the appearances. It's so crazy. I feel like the the more perfect a family looks on the outside, typically the more um, trauma or the more sort of codependent relationships there are on the inside. Absolutely. How did this feeling of not being enough and this desire, especially seeking male attention or seeking that um, 
just positive attention from others. What did that look like in your college years as you started to get older? Um, the using just continued to get worse. I mean, and th- so like through high school, um, the reason I didn't recognize that I was an addict was for one, I was really good at sports. I had a scholarship to college. I had good grades. So all of these things were, were fine. So I don't have a problem. Then I get into college and all of a sudden it was weird. It was like, um, I, I was playing sport. I was playing volleyball at college and, um, grades didn't really seem to matter too much. I didn't really care if I went to practice. It was suddenly like things had began to shift because everything had been so easy up till now. Then there was all of this fear that was coming in that I couldn't identify. Um, it just like complete fear of going to class, fear of, um, and I think a lot of it was, um, you know, because of the using and um, I'm super self-conscious. I'm, um, I think every, everyone's out to get me, mm. you know, it's like, um, I just have no faith in like humanity. I really don't. I, it was like the world, I began to see the world as like hostile, like a hostile environment. And so it was kind of like me against the world. I didn't really have any close friends. I just was like, okay, I have to do this. Let me get through school. And I got through like, you know, um, my first year of school, like barely. And, um, but I, but my relationships, I bounced from like man to man to man. So now I'm using drugs, I'm using alcohol. Now I'm using men, right? So all trying to fill this void and I'm never satisfied. What was your drug use at this point or alcohol use? Like what, what, to what extent um, were you using how many days a week? Oh, I was using every day, every, every day, just to be able to function. I got up and um, began drinking or smoking or whatever I was doing that day. It really didn't, it didn't matter. It, it had gotten to the point too, that I was open to trying whatever. It just, it didn't matter because I kept thinking maybe the next thing is going to make me feel better. Right. Maybe, yeah. Maybe the next thing is going to satisfy me instead of thinking, Hey, maybe the next thing is going to kill you. Or also if this thing that used to satisfy me isn't doing it anymore and it's not having the same effect, I got to try that next thing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It was like, I'm addicted to more. It didn't matter what it was. Everything was in excess. Working out was in excess. Um, Interestingly enough, school was not in excess. (laughs) (laughs) That's the one addiction that didn't make it on the roster. Studying for exams. Yeah. That's, uh, I haven't seen many 12 step meetings on that addiction. I mean, I guess workaholics, that is, that is, can be serious. And I guess that's a variation of it. Sort of escaping in work, right? Just like focusing so much on work to the detriment of everything else in your life. Um, did it have any physical impact at this point? Was it affecting your ability to like perform well in sports and volleyball? Oh, absolutely. And people had noticed, um, you know, and throughout these years, it was like people would come to me and say, hey, you know, do you think that you might have a problem? You think that there's something else going on here? And I would get immediately defensive and very upset and, of course, lash out at people. You are the one that has the problem. You don't understand me, mm. you know, but very much the victim. I blamed everybody for everything that happened in my life. Um, I even, you know. I kept jumping in and out of a relationship, thinking that a relationship, that a man was going to save me. And as a result of that, I had, um, I had many relationships where I had gotten pregnant and um, 
had a, had multiple abortions. And, you know, a lot of people think that, well, if you, you realize the damage that was caused during the first one, why would you continue? But if I look back when I was younger, the way that I processed it was, this is a get out of jail free card. Oh my God, how easy this is. This is birth control. This is what I do. It, that was the lesson that I learned from that. And so I continued that cycle throughout like my twenties and my thirties. And I had um, not understanding the damage that it really was going to do to me in, on the inside. Um, and so I had multiple abortions and I don't, I don't even remember how many I had. Um, and I only say that because I, I purposely blocked all of that out, you know, and um, because I knew that something wasn't right. And so I had all of this shame and all of this guilt is continuing to like build inside of me. And it's, and it's sitting there and it's just like filling me up, filling me up. And I don't want to feel this any longer. So I continue to use, um, I got married a couple of times. I remember getting drunk <laughs> and telling my boyfriend at the time, Hey, you want to go get married? And we just went and got married the next day. Wow. This was in college or after you graduated? This was, um, this was after college. I had got, I got married, um, the first time when I was 22 and my using was so bad. Um, I remember him telling me, Hey, you have a problem. And, um, I was like, yeah, whatever. It's you, you're the problem. Right. And, um, we only lived together for nine months. I came home one night and everything in the house was gone. I had a note taped to the wall that said, Hey, um, you have three weeks to get your shit and get out all the electricity, everything will be turned off. Good luck. <laughs> and that was it. Um, I remember being angry about that, but oh my God, I, like, thank you for escaping. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm so glad that you found happiness somewhere because I know living with me was miserable. I, I, did, I wasn't even happy living with me. Right. So you, you're married, you're living with this person and he decides to give you three weeks to leave. Does this shake you up at all? Does this make you realize, okay, I have a problem here. I need to get help or, or is it all his fault? Is it all the situation? What, how do you rationalize it? Of course it was all his fault. Are you kidding me? Was, at that moment, it was all of his fault and poor pitiful me. Right. You know, and, um, and I remember finding a solution. I went and lived with a friend for a little bit. Um, but right after that, it was like, I was right on to the next conquest, right? Because that's how I looked at men is like to be conquered. Like, okay, someone, eventually I will find someone who is going to save me and make me feel so important and that I'm loved and that I'm wanted. All that responsibility is on them. I mean, why would I want to make myself feel that way, right? I don't know any better at this point. Yeah. I don't know that that's my job. So, so where does this pattern take you? How, so you have a second marriage and I have a second marriage. Could, do you want to talk about that a little bit? How did you, how did that marriage sure. come about? Um, yeah, you know, it, that's funny because I had stayed single for, um, oh my God, I don't, for a few years. And then I remember, um, running into someone that I had dated years and years before and 
I think we, we kind of hung out for about a week. And that was when we were out drinking one night at a bar. And I, I was like, Hey, you want to go get married tomorrow? Sure. So we go and get married. And, um, that is when my using just like took a whole crazy spin of, um, ex- it really got excessive because, um, throughout that process, like I got married to someone, but I really didn't love this person. It was, it was just kind of like a, um, a bandaid, if you will. I kept thinking that I need to get married, right? Marriage isn't really like a happy thing. Look at what I came from, where my parents were, right? Um, every, you're supposed to fight. You're supposed to not like each other. Like these are the thoughts that go through wow. my head. That was my normal. And I, and I didn't understand that. So we, everything, of course, in the beginning was wonderful. And then um, I was unhappy, but I was, and I kept blaming it on him. I'm unhappy with him. It had nothing to do with him. I was unhappy with me. And so I began to um, see other people and do my own thing. And we never spent any time together and really wasn't even, I acted like I was single again. It really didn't even matter. And throughout this process, um, I went to, um, I remember going to the doctor and I found out that I tested positive for herpes. And um, I was like, shit, now I've got to go home and tell my husband this. And um, that's going to be a challenging conversation because he's going to go, okay, well, where did this come from? Ask me all these questions that I don't even know the answer to at this point. Um, and also during this time, I'm, I've had more abortions from other people while I'm married to someone else. And so it, it was just like this wave of unworthiness. Like, who am I? Who am I now? What have I become? And these things start to like come to me, but I'm still not really identifying it because I still want to blame everybody else. I still don't want to take responsibility for my own behavior. And so I go home and I tell my husband that, you know, I test positive herpes and, and he, you know, he was not upset and he wasn't happy, but I mean, it is what it is. Um, And after that, do you think he already knew that that was going on? I mean, if it had been happening for a while. Oh yeah, I'm sure he knew. I'm sure he knew it. Um, it was quite apparent when I wasn't coming home for days. Wow. So it, yeah, it was quite apparent that I was doing whatever I wanted to do. And he, and again, I, um, come home one day and I was told, Hey, um, at the end of the month, our lease is up and you got to find somewhere to go. And, um, I didn't like that too much. What the hell? What is wrong with all of these men? Don't they know who the fuck I am? They just keep like running from me, right? Or, or trying to like discard me. And I'm like, shit. I look back now and go, oh my God, they were trying to save themselves. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's this crazy uh, like contradiction where at the in the one hand, you don't feel worthy. You think you're the worst. You're full of shame. And you think you're the shit and that everybody should worship you. It's a crazy, and and that's such a tip that happens in addiction. It becomes this delusion where like, I'm a piece of shit that the universe revolves around basically. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. I had just, I had like pumped myself up. Like I was somebody, how dare they leave me? Um, Their life is going to be miserable now. Whatever, man. They're all, they're happy now. Thank God. (laughs) Like, thank God they saved themselves. 
Um, and so after that, it, my using really, really progressed. I started, um, I had been bartending this entire time. And I started, um, I had been working at a strip club, bartending, drinking every night really heavily and, um, and driving home like an hour every night from work. And um, I remember one night, actually this was like two weeks in a row. I totaled, I got a brand new car, totaled my brand new car, um, fell asleep driving because at this point, like I'm drinking all day and then um, I'm doing all kinds of stuff at night to stay awake. So I'm, you know, I'm staying up for like days at a time, you know, and um, I'm driving home. I totaled one car and then I'm like, oh, this is no big deal. I'll just go get another one. I don't care. Go get another car. Two weeks later, I do the same thing. And you think that that would wake me up where I would go, well, hey, you, you know, you have an issue here now. And you weren't hurt? You didn't have to go to the hospital after these crashes? No. I'm telling you, this was like divine intervention. It was like unbelievable that I was not injured. When did you eventually reach the point where you accepted that you needed help? When, when was rock bottom for you? Well, I had met someone um, that I was working with and we like a good addict, you know, we like see each other for like a week and then we moved in together. Right. And um, after about like a couple of months, he came to me and said, listen, you cannot stay here. You have got to get the fuck out of my house because you're, you're using and drinking is so excessive that I don't even want you around my son. And um, that was like a, a wake up call for me where I was like, whoa, so, like I'm impacting a child. Do you know what I mean? Like my behavior is now being seen by somebody else. And for whatever reason, I, um, I heard that, but I still wanna be manipulative because that's what I do. And I was like, hey, listen, maybe, maybe I have a problem. Maybe I have a problem here. And so he took me to my first meeting. Um, I remember walking into my first meeting and I was like, I'm going to go. He's going to see that I don't belong here and I'm never going to have to come back. Because when I think of drug addict, I think of people shooting up, eating out of dumpsters, um, dirty, living on the streets. You know, I think of that. Um, and that wasn't my story. And so all of these people don't have anything in common with me. We're going to go. He's going to see that. And I'm going to be clear. Um, we go to the meeting and, and it really was a good meeting, but I don't remember much of the meeting. Um, except when we left, he said to me, oh my God, you need to go back tomorrow. Those are your people. Wow. <laughs> I was so pissed. I, I was bet. like, you gotta be kidding me. This is crazy. Um, but yeah, that was like my first experience with recovery and I still didn't get it. It was kind of like, all these people were so fucking happy. Like, how can you be happy? Y'all are full of shit. There is no way they have found a successful way to use. Let me find the right people to meet so that I can figure out a successful way to use. I'm still trying to manipulate the system and work my own program. I'm not thinking that, hey, Carrie, everything you've been doing all of these years hasn't worked. Perhaps you should try something different. So I... um. I tried to do my own plan for the first three months. And uh, I finally decided, I remember sitting in a meeting one day and for whatever reason, I was listening to somebody share about, you know, a lot of y'all think you could come in here and get recovery by osmosis. You have to do the work. 
you have to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. You need to get a sponsor. You need to work steps. You need to call people. And I knew I had heard those things before. Like they say I'm in every meeting. For whatever reason, in that moment, I heard them, really heard them. And before that, I was sitting there going, this program sucks. It doesn't work. I've been coming here for 90 days. I don't feel any fucking different. This is bullshit. And I hear all of this stuff. And I went, oh my, well, for one, I'm like, holy shit, he's talking to me directly. He knows me, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, you know, what do you have to lose? Why don't you try these suggestions just for, just for the hell of it. If they don't work, they don't work. You can go back to doing what you were doing. Just see. And so that is the day that I was like, all right, I'm going to give this, uh, I'm going to give this a fair shot. And that was the day that everything changed for me. That is such a good attitude to have. I honestly, it it sounds almost negative. Like it sounds like a, um, like not the right attitude, like you're not fully in it, but just giving it a shot and being like, what do I have to lose? I'll just try it for a couple of months. That's the best you can hope for coming out of addiction. That's a solid attitude. And that, like the fact that that did it for you, the fact that you're still in recovery now and now you're helping other people, that was enough. Like that was the attitude that worked. Just saying, hey, I am just going to give it a shot, see what happens and actually try this thing out. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it was funny because I have like the best sponsor in the world. She she found me. She fucking saw me a mile away. And she would always ask me at every meeting, do you have a sponsor? Do you have a sponsor? I'm like, no, no, no. And then that day she came up to me that day that I decided I'm going to do something different. And I saw her coming and I was like, fuck, she's going to come talk to me because <laughs> I was afraid of her. She was like very, um, just, she was very passionate about recovery and she didn't fuck around. And so she came up to me and said, Hey, do you have a sponsor? And I said, no. And she was like, I don't understand people like you. You come in here thirsty as hell. And we try to give you a glass of water and you refuse to drink it. And I went, Oh, fuck. Will you sponsor me? <laughs> like, will you be? And she was like, okay, this is what I want you to do. And she told me all these things that I needed to do. I needed to call her and she gave me all these words to look up and all this homework stuff. But I didn't care if she told me to go outside at noon every day and stand on my head, I was willing to do it because I was in so much pain at that point. I didn't want to feel that anymore. I didn't realize, I didn't realize the depth of what I was really dealing with as far as all of this shame and this guilt from, from abortions, from testing positive to herpes, like all of these things, um, all of my behaviors, I didn't realize any, like I'm a victim. I didn't, I didn't get any of that stuff. Um, but I did understand direction. If you told me to do something, I would do it. And um, it didn't, at this point, it didn't need to make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I would, I was going to do it because I saw her life and I heard her story and where she came from. And I was like, shit, my life wasn't that bad. I know if she can do it, that I can do it. And so I did everything she told me to do, pretty much everything. <laughs> what was it like? Because the first the first few steps, right? I mean, admitting that you're powerless and then starting to open your mind to a higher power. What was that process like? Did you, um, were you open to that? Or did you just kind of bury it for a bit and you're like, I'll come back to that later? How did you respond to those steps? Well, um, man, it, I had no problem admitting that I was powerless. Um, 
step two and three, I, I was a little challenged with, like, I believed step two is fine. I believed that there was a power greater than me that could restore me to sanity. But three, I was like, oh, I got to like put all my faith and trust in something that I can't see. And my history of going to private school where the God that I was taught was like hellfire, brimstone, you're going to hell kind of deal. And I'm like, that's not for me. Um, and when I was told, hey, you can create your own God. And I was like, oh, okay, I want to hear more about this, you know? And in the beginning, like the program was my higher power. And, and I just believed that everyone else believed because I saw that people really were happy. People got their kids back. People got jobs. There were, um, <laughs> I, remember, I remember the beginning of recovery. I was thinking, these are just a bunch of drug addicts that are just barely getting by. And I'm sitting in there going, oh my God, there's like doctors and lawyers. Doing pretty good. <laughs> well, yeah, like there's all of these people, successful people in here. Whoa. So it was about changing my perspective and understanding that um, I had blinders on and my vision was completely skewed because of the addiction. And so the things that I saw that were my truth were always going to be up for revision. What else helped you to heal? Could you tell me a little bit more about the, the healing process, especially from the earlier traumas? I mean, having the abortion at such a young age, what else helped you to heal through these things? I did multiple things. I, I went to therapy. Um, so I did, I did a lot of different things. Um, I remember going to, um, I, got, I went to therapy. And then I also went to hypnotherapy. I've tried equine therapy. I did... Um, I went to some spiritual retreats and that was like the big powerful thing for me is through um, some of this inner child work that I was doing. That's when that moment of the seven-year-old um, was brought about. And I had that vivid memory and I went, oh my God, okay, so this is something key that I need to remember. I need to go back and, and deal with this. Um, also having, um, I ended up hiring a coach and what's really funny about that is I didn't even know that the abortions and the testing positive for herpes was a problem, right? I'm like, this is just stuff that happened to me. And I've so disassociated myself from it in my mind. I'm, tr I'm trying to completely like deny those parts of me. Then essentially all I've done is put them up on a shelf and been like, hey, y'all can stay there for a little while and we'll come back and talk to you later. And um so I remember being on, uh, a friend of mine messaged me and said, hey, listen, I want you to follow this woman on Instagram. Um, I think you're going to like her. And I'm, I'm following her and I'm like, she's talking about herpes. And um, she, she was just talking about how her life has completely changed now. And, and she speaks so openly about her testing positive. And I went, oh, how intriguing. And I began to follow her. But at the same time, I don't, I begin to dislike her because she's a reflection of the parts of me that I'm refusing to look at. And so now I start to be judging her. I'm starting to judge her like, okay, I don't, I don't like her. She's angry at men. Like I started creating all these reasons why I don't like this woman. And then I stopped myself and I went, you know, this, I've done enough work now at this point to know that it's not ever the other person. It's me. <laughs> that, is <laughs> such a, that is such an important breakthrough but it sucks because it means that you can't judge anybody you can't blame anybody ever and it's it's annoying i know it's like <laughs> oh my god the comforts of blame right like yeah. i want to live in this victim mentality but I in order for me to be irritated grow, anymore just let me be mad <laughs> yeah 
I, I just want to sit in my pissed offness. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so I reached out to her and I was like, listen, you know, I just want to know how you can do this. How are you able to speak so freely and be like, just so open and like, it doesn't even matter. And so we got on a call and she, um, and I started working with her. I worked with her for four months, a lot of shame and guilt that I had, um, that I had been holding on to and feeling that I wasn't good enough. Those were a lot of the reasons that I felt like I wasn't good enough because I wasn't able to um, like express myself about those. I was holding them inside, not understanding how they affected me. So we did a lot of work surrounding self-worth and self-confidence. And I just, one day I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get online and start talking about it. And uh, she was like, listen, I'm not telling you to do it. I'm not telling you not to do it, but if you want to do it, I'm like 100% behind you supporting you. And so after that, it was like game over, man. I'm like talking about it because there's so many people out there and I didn't realize it until I started talking about it. When I started talking about herpes, I started talking about abortion. So many women reached out to me and said, thank you so much because now we see that there's, that we're not alone. And that's what it's all about. We're not alone, even though we think we are. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you did, what, um, when, when you say that you did the work, when you say that you guys worked on self-worth, what did that look like? Practically speaking, like what exactly did you guys do? We like, we really did. We did a lot of clearing. I did a lot more clearing with like my family. Um, I, um, like for one of the things I did was I went back and, um, reached out to my mom about, that moment that I had when I was seven. And with amazingly enough, right? At this point, I'm so mad at her. I'm thinking that she had this conversation with me on purpose to get me to be, to persuade me to be mad at my dad because she was so angry with him. And, um, you know, I reach out to her and we're talking and she doesn't even remember the conversation. Mm-hmm. And then I went, oh, everybody is so consumed with what they have going on they only, they don't know how it affects other people. You don't, honestly, we're all so selfish. We don't consider that. That's the reality. And, um, and she told me, she was like, honestly, Carrie, back then it was such a blur that whole, those years were a blur to me because I was a single mother trying to raise three kids. And it was just so crazy that I don't remember a lot of that. And and then I had compassion and I was able to look at her differently and go, oh, I can accept responsibility for my decisions because before I wanted to blame her. Well, because of her, because my dad left, because she told me that this is why I did this. And I, and I wanted to constantly blame. And when I realized that I can't continue to blame them um, and I own that response, I take that responsibility on myself, then um, you know, I'm able to begin to heal. And, you know, it was, it, so it was like dissecting all of these moments, going back to all of these moments and actually addressing them and looking at them for what they really were. And, um, and I did like a lot of, I did a lot of cord cutting. Uh, from what does a, that from look a, like? What is cord cutting? Um, a lot of cord, cord cutting is like, in, and this is just for me, um, I believe I have like an energetic connection to people and, and or an, even an energetic connection to certain stories. 
in, in my life because these are all narratives that I've written in my head. And so I can go back and um, I can cut that energetic cord through any, any kind of process. Some people do it through meditation. Some people do it through letters. Like there's so many different ways that you can do it. Um, and I've done many of them and I cut that energetic cord and I can create something new there. I can rewrite my story. And so it's about now shifting my story, changing my story from the shame and the guilt to, Hey, what am I going to do with that? What can I do with that today? Today I can use my story to help other people instead of beating myself up over these things that happened to me. I'm no longer a victim. Let me take this and use it for good today. Wow. What I want to hear more about is how how this translates into helping others. Because now you're a coach. Now you're that girl on Instagram. Now you have that following and you're talking to women who are struggling with shame. What has that process been like for you? How is that process of hearing from other women who struggle with this and trying to communicate with them it's okay that they they are worthy um you know it's so funny that you say that because i was a coach before i started working with my coach i knew i wanted okay. to help women yeah i had i was a coach and um but i was so afraid to like fully jump in and pursue it because why would anybody want to work with me? Because I still have that shame and guilt. I haven't addressed it yet. Right. And so as I, I start to work with her, I start to build my self-confidence. I start to talk about, I address the shame, I address the guilt. And then I realize that the reason you feel like you can't um, speak to women at this time is because you're not willing to go the places that you want to take your clients. And so and that was huge, a huge revelation. So as soon as I was like, okay, I'm willing to go there. I'm going to go all in and just like completely strip naked here and do it, do the deal. And, um, as soon as I started to do that, that was when everything changed for me. It was like, then I began to develop the self-confidence, um, and the self-worth. And I realized that, oh, this story is powerful this can be used to help people. Then I feel like I have a purpose and I feel like I have value before I wasn't feeling like that because I was trying to hide. Like you can see this part of me, but that's it. I still was trying to wear the mask. I wasn't willing to take off certain masks. And now I'm like, okay, let me just be fully exposed, fully self-expressed. Here it is. I am just sitting here for you to really see me and be vulnerable. And that was that was the the clincher for me is becoming vulnerable because becoming vulnerable was considered weak in my mind bef before that i didn't see it as this is going to be um the source of my healing vulnerability are you kidding me yeah it used to be let's put up walls let's put that perfect image out and control how people see us and keep that facade going for as long as we can that used to be strength right that's how you operated and got through life succeeded so now you're vulnerable and now you're you're coming on this show sharing your story and i'm so grateful you do that i'm so grateful to to be on the other side of the the camera here just listening to you and before we wrap up this show what in in a simple way if you could communicate one thing to the millions of, of women and men who really are buried in shame, who are buried in the shame of their addiction, the shame of some of their past actions, what would you want to communicate with them? 
that they can they can break free of um, their past trauma. They can heal. Um, it's going to be uncomfortable, and you're going to have to face some things. But you know, it's like the payoff is so worth it. I had to look at what does it cost me to not address these things because it was costing me a lot, and what is the payoff if I do address these things? And so when I heal from past trauma, um, it's like when I'm able to break free of that, if I felt like I was being so weighted down and now I felt, I've never felt more freer in my life. And I can't even express how being free feels but it is the most incredible feeling in the world. And I feel, um, I just feel like there's so much more. Like the things that so scared me before were just an illusion. They weren't real. They were just stories I created in my mind. And as I walk through this fear, I realize that this is all bullshit. Oh my God, this is just, this is fake. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm holding myself back. When I see that, yeah. that you're holding yourself back. Just in my mind. In my mind, it's like, oh my God, I'm holding myself back. Holy shit. This is all me. This is all a product of my thoughts. And then freedom on the other side is just so beautiful. That's really powerful. And I'm I'm happy to see you free. I'm happy other people can see it as well. And and you have started to develop this platform to really reach out and communicate that to people. So um yeah, I'm really grateful to have you on the show, Carrie. This has been awesome. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you. I feel like we we share a lot of similar worldviews coming from the recovery crowd. So it's just so fun talking to you. And I'm really grateful to, to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Addictive Pod. Don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever platform you use. It really helps us grow this community. If you want to learn more about Carrie or need a life coach, find her on Instagram at Carrie Pilaro or at her website, CarriePilaro.com. Links in the description. It's been a pleasure hosting the show. Until next week, remember, we recover together. Together.